Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you... As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Amen. There's very few uh, approaches to what we're doing here this evening, and so I've not come here to try to put some new spin on something or try to add any flair to something. This is the solid word of God, and we're just going to talk about something that you're probably eminently most of you aware of this evening, but let's talk about it one more time. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. I think we can all agree that the Lord has made a special effort to admonish us to remember his death. And um, we really don't struggle. Certainly in uh, our society, we don't, we don't struggle to remember his birth. As a nation, we have just celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ and so we don't really have a problem forgetting his birth but the Lord must have known that there may be a tendency in human nature to forget his death therefore he gives us this admonition don't forget and of everything that we could talk about communion representing and we could begin in Genesis perhaps and go to the Revelation as they say but I believe when we boil it all down, what Jesus is wanting to say is don't forget. We must remember the significance of why we're here. Because if we forget his death, then we possibly may forget the reason of his death. And those words are recorded in John uh, chapter 14 and verse 3. Jesus recorded or said this, John made record of this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's why he died. Amen. He died so that we could have hope. I'm thankful that there is a heaven, and I'm thankful for the assurance of that. And I'm thankful for the validity of the word of God. I had, uh, I had run to the grocery store this evening in Brantford and had intended to just pop right in, pop right out. And um, I got caught. I, I got caught by an individual that I haven't seen in many, many years. And, and uh, this gentleman just went on a, a tangent about um, so all sorts of things. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of 
one track minded and I went in to pick up two or three items and I was kind of focused on that and uh, the next news I knew we were uh, we were just about waist deep and all kind of conspiracy theories and all sorts of things and what do you think and you know and and you know I didn't really even know how to answer about nine of the ten questions that were coming at me per minute and uh, you know I finally just said well my trust is in the Word of God and that's where I'm going to build I've built my whole life around the Word of God. And uh, he made a comment about, you know, I'm not sure we can trust that. I'm not sure we can put our hope there. And, and uh, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't have time and didn't even want to take the time to try to settle all this in the aisle of a grocery store. But I told my wife when I got home, I said, when you take God's word and you remove the line, then you are now opening yourself to whatever theory, thought, philosophy is floating in our world and there are many. And so I'm going to ground myself in the word of God and I'm going to put my hope and my trust there. Amen. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm thankful for the belief in that, my confidence in that. Amen. This world is not my home. That's not just a song. Amen. That's not just something we sing about, but that's something we build our life around. This world is not my home because he's coming again. And so he said, Jesus said, as oft as you do this, you do show the Lord's death until he come. And it's sad but true that that whatever we are overexposed to, if we are just too often exposed to something, that after a while that loses its significance to us. And so he just said, as often as you do this. You know, uh, every day uh, people live... They have their their homes are right on the corner of real busy intersections, or maybe people have built their dream home or bought their dream home, and the next news you know, an interstate highway came within fifteen feet of their front door, and and uh, you know they they tell me I've never been in that situation, but they tell me that after a while you just get oblivious to the noise. I find that hard to believe, but I also find it hard to believe that people that live in paper mill towns don't smell the paper mill. But the fine residents of those areas tell us differently. But if that be the case, then whatever we're overexposed to, it after a while it just loses its impact on us. And so if, uh, if we're, we're exposed to the word of God, I want to be exposed to his word. And I, I, but I don't want it to ever lose its meaning. I don't want it to ever lose its power or its impact. I always want Calvary's message to move me. Uh, we sing that song that says, move me with your message once again. I, I don't want the preaching of the word of God not to challenge me or, or to startle me, amen. And so we're exposed to the preaching that, that there is a proposed end. That proposed end is that Jesus is coming. But if we're not careful, we'll lose the stirring feeling of that anticipated moment. And I don't want that to happen. I pray often, I don't want to just have a zeal to serve the Lord in, in my youth but I want to take that zeal with me all the way and I know that it's possible because I've met those that have a lot of silver in their hair and they still have hope in their eyes and they still have joy in their relationship with God and I want to hold on to that and so we've come tonight for a very special occasion on which we will remember the Lord's death one more time and so I want us to just quickly take some very close Uh, but I think important things into consideration. From the word of God that we understand that the Lord's Supper is certainly not 
uh, a magical rite uh, that in and of itself just imparts grace to us. But neither, neither is it just some nice ceremony. It's not just something that we do because it's the end of the year or because it's some certain time on our calendar or it's uh, something that we do just to kind of reflect on where the Lord has brought us. Certainly all of that is a part and parcel of it, but it is a statute in the Word of God. And when we properly understand it, I believe that this evening can accomplish several things in our lives. I believe that it, one thing it brings us closer into the presence of the Lord. I don't think communion service is like any other service that we have throughout the calendar year. I believe that communion services give us an opportunity to deal with our sin. And I'm talking to the church. Amen. Because we all are made of the same rotten flesh. And it gives us an opportunity to deal with our sin, to come face to face with areas of weakness that we need to let the Spirit of God not just work on but take care of. We need to nail that door shut. And it restores fellowship with God and it restores fellowship with one another. It gives us an opportunity to kind of take a deep breath and analyze where the Lord has brought us. It gives us significance that in the fact that Jesus Christ really did die. And after all, I may mention this again in a moment, but after all, that's what our Christian faith is centered around. It wasn't just centered around a baby in a manger. And it wasn't just centered around a man who, who gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and, and raised the lame, but it's about a man who died and rose again. Our Christian faith is centered around that. When the, it's a very special thing. The Bible talks about uh, when a, a husband and wife, uh, being the scripture talks about them being no longer two, but now being one flesh. We understand that they don't become one body, obviously, but they operate as one. And uh, the, the longer you're married, the longer you're together, uh, the, more you, the, the more you start thinking alike. You finish one another's sentences and you finish a lot of things for each other. But, but uh, you, you just become one. You become one in thought. You become one in heart. And so that's what the scripture is talking about, that when we come together in this time, it, it ought to bring us together as one. Amen. One in thought, one in principle, one in, in heart. And so in this, in this meal we partake of uh, first, the scripture takes, takes caution or care to teach us that we take the bread. The bread is symbolic, of course, of the body of Christ. And so when we behold the bread or we look at that, consider that, we see the dual nature of truth. The bread speaks about both the body of Christ and his suffering, but it also speaks of his sufficiency. Amen, I'm thankful for both. I'm thankful that there was a Calvary. I'm thankful there was a cross, but I'm thankful also that his grace is sufficient for this hour. Amen, I, I was, I've been thinking about this afternoon. I, I, don't, I, I don't really know. I'm, certainly there's a lot of uh, supposition about the thorn in the side of Paul's flesh or in his flesh. And, uh, and as of late, I've just read about that a little bit more. And, and I, I'm, I'm not certain, of course, no more than anyone here is certain of exactly what it may have been. But we do know this, that Paul was not a man given to weakness. And he was not a man given to just shifting tides. He was a very educated man. As far as 
that is concerned. He was a very solid and, and concise individual. We also know from his spiritual uh, accomplishments, if that's the right word, uh, that Paul was a very rooted and grounded man. So whatever it was, I think it had to be pretty significant. I don't think that this was just a toothache. I don't think that this was just a, a pain in the little toe. I believe this was something that pained the spirit of Paul. But, but the Lord said, so, so with that built in our mind and that in our heart, that Paul was not a man given to just uh, little things moving him and shaking him. So it had to be significant. And against the backdrop of something very significant in his life, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul rested his entire future on that one word. And he said, well, I would rather have your grace in my life. I would rather have what you're doing in my life than to have this taken care of. Whatever it was, whatever it may have been that tore at the heart of the apostle Paul, he found solace and sufficiency in the grace of God. Amen. So I thank the Lord for his sufficiency. He is the, both the Savior that suffered for us, but he is also the Savior that is sufficient to meet our every need. He can't just take care of the small matters, but he can take care of the large matters. But let's turn that around. He's not just a God of the big things, but he's a God of the, of the small things as well. David mentioned in the 91st Psalm things that were very life-threatening. He mentioned the adder. He mentioned the lion. But he also talked about the noise and pestilences. And so he's a God that is sufficient to take care of whatever it is that we may face. As a matter of fact, Paul also even mentioned, I believe it is dragons, is it? That's in that particular passage of scripture. And so we know there's no such thing. And so I think what maybe David was talking about in that particular psalm is that God could even deal with the imaginations of our mind. Because sometimes we fight things in our, in our mind and our heart that aren't even real. But he said, I, my grace will be still sufficient for that. It, it'll be sufficient for a gnat. It'll be sufficient for a lion. It'll even be sufficient for the gnawing, antagonizing imaginations of your mind. My grace will be sufficient. And so when we behold the bread, we hold the sufficiency of the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. The Lord suffered, speaks of the death of Christ, a death that was full of suffering. You read about that. When you read about that, it moves us, or at least it should move us. For many years, and I, I talk about this, I try to talk about this annually, because for many years, the debate has been among so many whether communion ought to be served with wine or grape juice. And I, I often say, and, and I hope I say it often enough, that I feel like that, my friend, is a tragedy. Because the single most important thing is not this or that. The single most important thing is that we remember. And I'm not trying to cross theological swords with anybody because I, I've, I've heard the arguments on both sides, whether it was fermented or unfermented. The issue, in my opinion, is that we should not forget Help me to remember that's the importance that I need to underline. It's not whether we're doing it this way or we're doing it that way. It's the fact that we are doing it and we're doing it in right spirit and right, in right fashion. Amen. Communion is simply about waiting and it's about remembering. And so every time we gather together and take the bread and the cup, we're remembering and proclaiming that we are waiting on the Lord to return. <laughs> 
Amen. I, I read this uh, over this passage of scripture this afternoon and my mind just kind of jumped ahead into the book of Hebrews and chapter 11 about all the heroes of faith and then it talks about those others that did not receive their, their deliverance. They didn't receive their healing and so when you study that out, you find that it wasn't that they rejected their healing or their deliverance but they were still patiently waiting for it. Amen. And so where's the church today? We're not pacing and and we're not scratching our head and our spirits are not wrong side out but tonight we've come to let the Lord know that we're still patiently waiting on your return I have not lost hope my friend that Jesus is coming again I need to hurry to the second portion of this, of this particular passage in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. the Bible says wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse number 28 says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself and not discerning the Lord's body or not taking seriously what we're doing. And he said, for this cause many are, are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Communion means giving thanks and Jesus took the cup and the bread and transformed them into meaningful, spiritual, significant experiences for every believer. However, the value of this great experience depends upon and it's all hinged upon the condition of the hearts of those who participate. And that was a real problem in, in the church at Corinth because it was a serious thing to come and it is a serious thing to come to communion with an unprepared heart. And that's why we should have been, I mentioned a moment ago, preparing long before this night because it's a serious thing to receive the Lord's Supper in a careless fashion. We're not here to be cavalier. This is a very serious moment because the Corinthians had been sinning in, in, a, uh, in their observation of the Lord's Supper. God disciplined them. That's why the scripture says, for this cause... Many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. And that, when the, when the Bible talks about people sleeping, it's, he's talking about the, them being dead. And he said, for this reason, many are sickly and many have died. And so communion gives us an opportunity for spiritual growth and blessing if we receive it in the right spirit, in the right fashion. I've often mentioned those that brought the woman uh, to Jesus that had been caught in adultery. Jesus just simply said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. So since no one threw a stone, and since by all that we can gather out of scripture, apparently everybody there walked away from the scene because he said, woman, where are thine accusers? My question has always been, why would you walk away from Jesus with confessed sin in your life? Because they had confessed without opening their mouths. Because whether they dropped the rocks in the ditch or took them home with them, when they walked away, they walked away with admission of guilt. And so why would you walk away from Jesus with sin in your heart? And so uh, if you're here this evening and you haven't got everything all together and you hadn't got all four corners of your life nailed down, I've got one thing to say to you. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Because I don't know of one person here that has it all together. 
Now that doesn't mean that we just become haphazard in our walk with God by no means. But why would you walk away from the Lord in that condition? Why would we not take advantage of this moment? And so that's why the scripture says, let me go back to this. He said, he said, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, drink this cup, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. But verse 28 says, but, but let a man examine himself. Don't, don't, don't do it unworthily or, or don't do it with unconfessed sin in your heart, but let a man examine himself. He gives us an opportunity to do something about that. And so I want to have an opportunity this afternoon to check and recheck my life. The old song really is right. If we come in the right spirit and the right attitude, we won't leave here like we came in Jesus' name. Now there's a lot of people that come to church one way and they leave the same way. Or they may leave in worse condition than they were when they got here, but it didn't have to be that way. If we come with the right spirit and we come with the right attitude, we come with the right mindset, I don't have to walk away unchanged. And so this evening gives us an opportunity to look behind us and see where the Lord has brought us. And it's a remarkable thing to me that the Lord wanted us to remember his death. Don't forget my death. And, and you know, um, most all of us or many of us here tonight have lost our loved ones, lost some loved ones at least. And, and for the most part, certainly depending on how we lost them, we try to forget that moment or at least some details of that moment. But Jesus said, I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to forget not one detail of this moment. I want you to remember why. Because as I mentioned a moment ago, everything in our Christian faith is centered around this death. And so if you forget one detail, if you forget one moment, then that may take one ounce of significance out of that moment and you can't afford to lose an ounce of the significance of the death of the Lord. And so we've got to remember that he died for our sin. 1 Corinthians 15 and 3 and 4, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to to the scripture. And so it, it's, it's not so much that the life of the Lord or his teachings, and I don't, I'm trying to take away from that, but it's not so much the life of the Lord, but it's the death of the Lord. That's what makes all the difference in the world. Therefore, he said, you need to remember that he died. Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sin, and he was the substitute. However, this remembering is not just simply a matter of recalling historical facts but it's participating in spiritual realities. And so this evening gives us an opportunity to look behind us, but it also gives us an opportunity to look ahead. I'm very excited about 2014. Amen. I didn't just start thinking about it yesterday. I'm excited about that. And the return of the Lord, amen, that hope, that blessed hope that's in our life. He didn't just die for our sins, but he rose again, ascended to heaven. And one day he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself. And so this evening, it's an opportunity to look around us, but it's also an opportunity to look within. That's why I mentioned that scripture again a moment ago. Let a man examine himself to look within. Paul didn't say that we had to be worthy to partake, but he said that we need that we should partake in a worthy manner. Amen. If we are going to participate in a worthy manner, then we've got to examine our heart and we've got to get honest with ourselves and we've got to judge ourselves and confess. The Bible says if we are confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But if we're going to deny them, he may deny us. 
And so I want to take an inward look. And so to participate in communion with unconfessed sin in our lives is to be guilty of, of the body and the blood of Jesus. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. And so I would not enter this service uh, high-minded. I, I would not enter this service without looking deep within my heart and my life and saying, God, there's some areas that I've got to work on and I'm, I'm, I'm committing to that right now. And it, it, here's the thing. If we don't judge our own sins, then God's going to judge them. And I'll promise you I'd rather judge them than God judge them because he will chastise us. Amen. Uh, you don't hear a whole lot about that, and I guess if it's not coming across the pulpit here, then I'm the one to blame for that. But, uh, but you know, if you, you've never been whipped till the Lord whipped you. Amen. I'll promise you that. I'll promise you that. The Corinthians neglected to examine themselves, but, you know, they were experts at examining everybody else. That sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? If we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, then we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves or chastisement upon ourselves. And so that's nothing to take lightly because the chastening of God is not because he works and operates in brute force, but the chastening of God is how he deals with his children. And I'm thankful that I had parents that corrected me when I was wrong. Amen. I'm very thankful for that. I wasn't thankful for it at the time. <clears throat> And I looked longingly across the aisles many times wishing I had those over there as my parents. But I'm very thankful as a grown man that I had somebody to chastise me. And uh, I knew they loved me and I know now even more that they love me. Because chastening can, if we cooperate, perfect God's will in us. I'm going to ask you to stand if you will and I'm going to ask our ushers, if they will, to begin to make their way. And as they come, they're going to serve you this evening. And, and as we transition into this portion of the service, I want uh, just to remind us of a few things that this service this evening should be a demonstration of the unity of the church. You know, we've just come through a... I was looking over our calendar and kind of thinking about the last few weeks, and we sure have got together several times and ate quite a bit last several weeks we've got no excuse for being hungry that's for sure and uh, we've enjoyed some wonderful meals at Thanksgiving together we've, I'm talking about as a church and then we've enjoyed another wonderful meal at Christmas and uh, just a few weeks away from the Thanksgiving meal and then this past Sunday we had a great time and, uh, and so it, there's, there's nothing like a family meal and uh, over the holidays especially for us Thanksgiving my brothers and their wives were were up and we were sitting around our dining table and I just paused for a moment in the absence of our parents I was very very thankful to have our siblings my siblings together and the laughter at our table and and uh, the atmosphere and the attitude in our home I, I felt very blessed by that and so what really ought to be here this evening is a demonstration of a family meal we're doing this together we're doing this together. The Lord of the family desires that we would love one another and care for one another. And it's impossible for a, a true Christian to get closer to the Lord while at the same time we're separated from one another. And so we can't love the Lord and not love one another. First John 4 and 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. <laughs> 
And so communion is not to be a time of grief, certainly, even though confession of sin is a very important thing, but it ought to be a time of thanksgiving and ought to be a time of anticipation. Think about, think about this, if you will. Jesus gave thanks even though he knew he was about to suffer and die. So he wasn't giving thanks because all was well. He wasn't giving thanks because there was no looming mountains in his, in his future. But he was giving thanks despite what was facing him because he knew the end result. So Jesus gave the church a very, very specific identity. And I know this has been often said, but John 3 and 35 said, By this shall all men know you're my disciples. This is my one ear tag for the church. And that is that you love one another. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I love you today. And I thank you for the privilege that you have given each and every one of us to be here tonight. God, I am just eternally grateful. I have no idea what I did, Lord, to deserve to be able to be exposed to your truth, but I am so thankful and I'm humbled by it. And I pray tonight, God, in your sweet name, that the power of your word and the power, God, of your truth would just permeate my mind and my heart. And I ask you today, God, to let to let everything that your word represents, God, let it reflect in my life. And I ask you today to strengthen us as a church. Lord, you said by this one thing shall all men know your mind. And that was the love that we extend to one another. I pray that our love is not superficial and, and, and phony. I pray, God, that our love is not just a facade to to face the world with but I pray that our love is so deep and our passion is so true and pure that God even in the midnight hours and when no one else is looking or listening God that we can pray prayers of intercession for one another and lift them up and pray God for strength and I ask you to touch us as a church and anoint us in our future in Jesus name we pray Amen. I'm going to ask you to join, if you're not familiar, if you will, just the, the very first seal, you can break that. And uh, we're going to read this scripture and then we'll do this together, if you will. The book of 1 Corinthians 11 and 24. The Bible says that Jesus was among his disciples and when he had given thanks, he broke it, talking about the bread. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And let's partake of that. And if you can break the second seal there. In the next verse the Bible says. <clears throat> After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped saying this cup. Is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, and let's receive that in Jesus' name. Praise God. Lord, I love you today. and I thank you, God. I thank you for Calvary's cross. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you gave your life, and no man took that life from you. I'm glad, God, that your word underscores that principle for us. 
I'm glad, God, that your word declares and underlines the value, Lord, that you laid down your life for us. God, I thank you for the cleansing. I thank you for the purification that came our way because when you cried, it is finished. It was just beginning for us. I thank you, Lord, that your mission on this earth had ended. But, oh God, the mission of heaven had just begun. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that as a church, that we will just march triumphantly into our future. God, that we'll not allow yesterday's sins and scars and our pains of the past to haunt us into our tomorrows. But I pray, God that you'll just anoint us in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.